الجزيره بودكاست Cases of COVID-19 are rising significantly in China weeks after it began relaxing restrictions following widespread protests. Now fears are growing a resurgence of the virus may lead to new mutations and trigger another global health crisis. Neighboring countries like India are stepping up surveillance and the World Health Organization is urging Beijing to provide more information to help the world better prepare a possible new wave of COVID-19. So could the world be facing another major outbreak and will countries be forced to reimpose restrictions? I am Hashim Albara and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast where we dissect, analyze and help define major global stories. Let's bring in our guest joining us from New York is Dr. Wafal Sadr. She is professor of epidemiology and medicine at Columbia University. Andy Mock is senior research fellow at the Center for China and Globalization. He joins us by Skype from Beijing. Dr. Krishna Udayakumar is founding director of the Duke Global Health Innovation Center. He joins us by Skype from Raleigh, North Carolina in the US. Welcome to the program. Dr. Wafa, the the cases now, the spiking cases in infections in, in China, could it possibly become the biggest COVID outbreak the world has seen since 2019? Well, first of all, thank you for the opportunity today. Um, I think there is concern that um, a surge in China uh, can, uh, in, a, in a population that, um, that has largely been naive, has not experienced COVID-19 surges before, uh, could really probably be one of the largest we have seen thus far. I think there are lots of things that remain unclear in terms of the, of course, the protective effect of the vaccines that have been largely uh, delivered and used in China. Um, and then to, to also uh, as well uh, take into account the, um, the population and what how they will deal with the surge itself, whether the people will adopt some of the protective measures, like, for example, staying home, mm-hmm. avoiding large gatherings and so on. So I think there are lots of unknowns. But certainly there is concern that the potential is there for a very large surge in numbers of cases um, in China and potentially accompanied by uh, a lot of uh, uh, potentially also hospitalizations. And so okay. On. Andy, I mean, we'd like to understand what happened exactly in China. Now, it, stood, it stood out for the last three years uh, as a model for its zero COVID regime with the lockdowns and, and so on and so forth, into abandoning that strategy just, just a few days ago. And suddenly you have this surge in cases. What went wrong? Well, I would question, Hashim, this uh, description of China's current policies abandoning mm-hmm. uh, its COVID policy. So we all know that uh, the first variant of COVID uh, was infectious, but also fairly lethal. And what China recognized early on was that prevention was vital to minimize deaths. Now, I think it's commonly agreed that uh, the virus has mutated quite a lot. Uh, The reproduction number I've seen, so the original Delta variant had a a reproduction number of about two. These current variants are at 20. So they are much, much more infectious, about as infectious as the measles, uh, smallpox. But the good news is that it is much, much less lethal. And I'll tell you, on the ground here in Beijing, in the last week, uh, I've seen surveys that 70% of people in Beijing have already 
been infected with COVID. So I agree with the doctor that uh, this will be the largest number of infections mm -hmm. uh, probably anywhere in the world. But the good news is that everyone around me, including me, has was infected uh, last week. Uh, people have described uh, getting this variant of COVID is uh, they've had worse hangovers. So I think it is fairly mild. Now, again, we should not discount. And the government uh, is very active. Uh, so I would not say it's abandoned uh, its mm -hmm. policy, but it's shifted its policy from prevention to identifying and making sure that those that do become severely ill have the medical resources. Now, one very important point in China mm -hmm. is that on a per capita basis, it has much fewer ICU beds. So this is a challenge, and it's not very visible, but the government is working very, very hard at every level to ensure there are more ICU beds available. Um, the other piece of good news I would say is that um, I think that the Chinese population uh, might be less vulnerable to severe uh, outcomes. We see in places like the United States, perhaps some parts of Europe, that these comorbidities mm -hmm. like obesity, other existing health conditions really contribute to uh, terrible outcomes, including death. And uh, fortunately, at least for now, I think China might be in a better position. Uh, with regard to comorbidity. Well, let me go to Dr. Krishna. Now, when you look at the figures, the government of China does not really seem to be forthcoming when it comes to the death, the, the, the death toll. But when you look at the projections that 60% of the population is likely to be infected, and then within that segment of society, you have people with pre-existing, uh, you have the elderly and those with pre-existing health conditions. That could be an indication that we are likely to see a growing number of casualties and uh, people affected by, the, by, by COVID-19. Absolutely. <clears throat> I'm much less optimistic, unfortunately, than uh, our speaker we just heard from. I do think this is going to be not just a massive wave of infections, with some estimates that already more than 200 million people in China have been infected over the last three weeks. But I do think we are already starting to see many deaths occur of course, not reported in the data. We won't ever know what actually is happening from the official data. But if you look at the news that's coming out of crematoriums being overwhelmed and what we saw in other similar populations like in Hong Kong, the latest projections I've seen are deaths in China of a million or more, which would just be horrendous. So unfortunately, I do think we're going to see a massive uh, shift here where we will start to see more deaths, hospitalization over the coming days and weeks. Uh, and our hope is that the health system can cope, but I'm not sure that's actually going to be the case with mm -hmm. the type of spikes we're now seeing. Wafa, there is a squabble over semantics here when it comes to the way the West interpret, interprets the, 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 the death toll and the way China does. To just, for example, the, the, they have different criteria here. The Chinese authority is saying that we're look, basically looking into the deaths related to respiratory problems. That gives us an indication that this is uh, directly linked to uh, COVID-19. In, in the West, they're saying, no, we have to look into the overall number of deaths, including those who died of um, underlying conditions. Heart attacks could be uh, an indication that this is something that could be linked to COVID-19. And I think this could explain why the Chinese said that just eight people died uh, this month of COVID-19. Well, I think, you know, it's, um, I think looking at the death from respiratory 
severe respiratory disease can give you a good sense of uh, what's happening, particularly in the context uh, of COVID-19 surge. I think it could be a good surrogate marker in terms of the of, of the numbers of death due to COVID. I think on the other hand, we always think of two things. One is dying due to COVID or death due to COVID and death with COVID. That is an incidental kind of a diagnosis of COVID uh, when somebody's sick from another condition. I think nonetheless, I think what uh, what behooves the authorities in China and what others have done elsewhere is to be as inclusive as possible in terms of trying to get a sense of um, the, the severity of the illness, the magnitude of the uh, of the effect of, uh, of a virus like COVID-19 on the population overall. Uh, it seems to me that it's highly unlikely with the large numbers of cases that have been reported and infections reported in China, that there would be only uh, less than a, less than a two handfuls of, of death that have been reported. Uh, clearly, there are the elderly population is certainly mm-hmm. more vulnerable to severe illness. Certainly, people with comorbidities and those exist in China, like anywhere else, are particularly vulnerable. Uh, in addition, we know that many people received vaccination way back, maybe a year and a half or two years ago, and protection has waned over time. and And I do think that. Uh, uh, in a lot of ways, probably it behooves a country like China uh, at this point in time to focus on how can you protect the most vulnerable, the elderly people with comorbidities. Uh, how can there be measures put in place to mm-hmm. protect those who are most likely to get uh, severely ill and uh, hospitalized and 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 are at risk of of dying from COVID nineteen? I think that needs to be uh, the urgent priority at this point in time. Mm-hmm. Andy, the the, the 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 number of the deaths which which we see on social media in China is higher than the number presented by the authorities. Why are they somehow downplaying the number of, of deaths uh, from COVID nineteen? Well, first, I would agree with what uh, the doctor just said that uh, I think prevention, especially amongst the elderly, uh, is very very important, and that certainly is going on. I think there has been. Uh, another prioritization of vaccination uh, of the elderly. So absolutely, I think that's correct. Uh, My understanding is the shift in the definition of COVID deaths actually reflects the underlying science in that the nature of the illness uh, has changed. I think that's one of the reasons. Um, You know, I would also say that uh, this idea of these crematoriums being overwhelmed uh, is kind of a media meme and that if you read the Western news compared to what's, I think, the lived experience on the ground, it would seem two completely different worlds. And I would caution uh, that the whole COVID pandemic, uh, the Western media has gotten it uh, pretty wrong, you know, from saying, first of all, that it's impossible to lock down such a large number of people. Um, It wouldn't work, can't be done. And in fact, China did do that. Uh, In the Shanghai lockdown, uh, there were reports of people starving to death. Uh, I don't believe anyone actually starved to death in Shanghai. So I would again caution that this humanitarian catastrophe, I believe the Washington Post Mm -hmm. uh, described this as China's COVID nightmare. Um, is really quite overblown. Now, clearly there are more people dying, uh, without a doubt. And I think um, they are people that are most vulnerable, either the elderly with existing conditions. Um, And clearly, I think the government is doing what it can 
uh, to minimize that. Mm -hmm. But every policy has its costs, uh, both uh, intended and unintended as well. So uh, I don't dispute that there are more deaths. Uh, I do question that uh, is it as extreme uh, as we're seeing in a lot of the Western press. And I'm, I'm very, very skeptical. All right, I see, uh, uh, Dr. Krishna, irrespective of what is the debate, the different narratives as far as what is happening in China is concerned. But when you look at the statistics themselves, if you have 60% of the population, a population of a billion, 400 million people, to contract COVID-19, no matter what resources you have, your hospitals will definitely one day will be overwhelmed. Drugs will be out of stock. And you will really have to grapple with how to move forward. How do you see China navigating through this complex situation? Yes, I think it will certainly be a difficult few weeks to months ahead. And China can certainly mobilize resources incredibly quickly uh, and at scale. And that is some of what we're starting to see now to increase ICU beds, to deal with the surge that is happening and continue to be expected. We also need to really ramp up vaccination amongst the high-risk vulnerable populations, as we've already heard. Um, we also have to make sure that there are access to therapies. We have better therapies now for mild to moderate infection to prevent hospitalization. And we have seen uh, news that uh, those drugs are being made available in China now. Uh, the types of vaccines that are being used is something we should certainly look at to make sure that the most effective uh, vaccines to prevent severe illness, hospitalization and death are made available. So there are lots of mitigation measures that are possible. And when we talk about this idea of flattening the curve, if you could see the same number of infections happen over six months versus six weeks, you would give a lot more capacity for the health system to be able to deal with those challenges. So that's the phase we're really in now. Dr. Wafa, you have those who would tell you COVID-19, as far as we are concerned, is a turned chapter. Gone were those days of massive concerns about our future. And then you have those who would tell you this could perhaps be similar to when we were in the midst of the dark tunnel with people really, really concerned about the future of humanity. From your own perspective, where do we stand now globally? Well, I, I think, and, 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 I, and I believe that many other experts um, also would agree that we are not in a situation similar to where we were in the early 2020s. I think we're in a very different place. And part of the reason why we are in a different place today is that we know so much more about COVID-19. We know how to diagnose it. We have the tools to diagnose it. We know how to manage it. We know how to treat it. We know how to prevent it. So we have our knowledge in terms of what to do, how to prevent and manage COVID-19 appropriately is improved exponentially since those dark days of the early 20, uh, 2020s. I also think we have a very different population now. We have a population in many parts of the world that has largely had already experienced, uh, people have experienced COVID with some protection from prior infection. Mm -hmm. We have availability of vaccines, some better than others, and booster doses and, and so on. We have treatments, effective treatments. So I think we're in a very different place from where we were. But nonetheless, I think we need to as much as we can, try to minimize transmission. It is not mm -hmm. good to get COVID-19. Some people will get very sick. Uh, some people are maybe at risk of long COVID 
um, the long symptoms after an episode of COVID. So while we have, we are in a very different place, I think we should continue to do our best to minimize transmission. And also for another reason is that we want to avoid the emergence of new variants that uh, uh, may be more transmissible, may be more mm -hmm. fatal, may be able to outsmart our vaccines and, and treatments. So I do think we, we should appreciate that we're in a different place, but nonetheless, we should also appreciate that COVID is not gone. It's going to be with us, and we have to do whatever we can to protect the populations as much as possible, to protect the most vulnerable as much as possible, and to prevent, prevent transmission in order to avoid the evolution of, uh, of new variants uh, in the future. Andy, was it a wise decision to lift the tough restrictions ahead of the uh, next month's Lunar New Year holidays? Yeah, I think that's a great question, Sham. Uh, I think the big unknown at this point is exactly how severe these variants are. And again, if they really are no worse than a common cold, having a billion plus people infected might not be that big of a deal. And uh, from as far as I can tell, Beijing was the first major population center to be infected. We're seeing the same dynamic play out in Shanghai now. Uh, within So last week, there was no one at work. You could not order anything online because all the delivery drivers were out sick. Uh, this week, pretty much things are returning to normal. And talking to people in Shanghai, it sounds like a similar dynamic is playing out. So I think the answer is that if indeed this is as infectious as, you know, with a reproduction number of 1820, uh, and not much worse than a common cold for most people. I think it does make sense to get it over as quickly as possible okay. because we shouldn't ignore the extreme economic cost of this regime as well. Dr. Krishna, India has stepped up preventive measures because of the concerns and fears about the BF7 strain of Omicron variant uh, of COVID-19, which is now hitting the continent, the subcontinent. Should we be concerned about the mutations at this particular stage? I think what we're starting to see is continued evolution, and uh, we don't see with any of the emerging variants um, um, any overly concerning signs, even though, as we've seen with the, uh, the lineage of BA5, which continues to be really the dominant force around the world, that the uh, transmission rates are quite high. So we do need to continue to take appropriate measures, uh, and I think especially with the wave that we're starting to see in China that is likely to lead to new variants, we need to make sure that our surveillance systems around the world mm -hmm. uh, are up to the task of identifying new variants, uh, including potential variants of concern as they emerge, and ensuring that we are taking the mitigation approaches, whether those are uh, appropriate changes to vaccines or treatments, uh, or making sure we're protecting the most mm -hmm. vulnerable populations. So surveillance and mitigation continue to be really central measures that all countries need to take. Okay. Uh, very briefly, if you don't mind, Dr. Wafa, you said that it needs to be a focus on those vulnerable. But then when you look at the way people are questioning the booster vaccine, their confidence has been eroded when it comes to the effectiveness of the vaccines. Do you think that it's about time for us to rethink the way we should have to deal with COVID from now onwards? Yeah, I think we have to adjust our messaging, definitely. I think the messaging is very different from the messaging that we had to use before. And we're also we're facing these headwinds of people who want to return to what they call normalcy, mm -hmm. uh, and also populations that that are 
um, their confidence in the vaccines have eroded over time, unfortunately. So I think in our communications have to focus differently. We have to find champions within the communities, the vulnerable communities that can advocate uh, to others within their community about why it's important to get the booster dose. Uh, and we have to use different messaging that's focused uh, maybe more clearly that uh, the goal of these vaccines is to prevent severe illness and death. Okay. And it is not to protect people against every single infection. In less we than 30 seconds, on... Andy, if you don't mind, do you think that the concerns about the second largest economy being battered constantly over the last three years, which made the, the government think it's about time to relax the restrictions? Absolutely. I mean, this is a not just a public health crisis, but it is uh, an economic crisis and it is a public opinion crisis as well. People were getting tired of the lockdowns. Fortunately, the virus has become less lethal. So I think we're able to move past this now and uh, resume a trajectory, hopefully, of economic rebound. Do you see, Dr. Krishna, the world going back to restrictions, lockdowns? No, I think we're well past that stage. We are now transitioning in a messy way from the emergency response to something that needs to look like long-term COVID control. So the pandemic's not over, but we have to think about how to manage it effectively with all the tools that we now have available without forgetting that we have lots of other health and other economic challenges ahead of us. Ladies and gentlemen, I really appreciate your reassuring answer. Looking forward to talking to you in the near future. I promise you we'll continue to talk more and more about COVID-19 and its impact on uh, our health and the global economy. Dr. Wafa Sadr, Andy Mark, Dr. Krishna Udayakuma, thank you. Thank you very much indeed. This episode was produced by Shantanu Chatterjee, Osama Aluni, Michael Howard, and Paul Taylor. Studio sound was Yasser Rahmani. Program was edited by Alexander Kola, Lynn Gwynn, and Jody Frias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Tune in on Monday for our next episode. Thank you for listening.